Hello and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber and I'm sitting here with Anna Chizinski, Andrew Hunter-Murray and James Harkin. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days and in no particular order, here we go. Starting with you, Chizinski. My fact this week is that in China, you can hire mistress dispellers to lure away your husband's mistress. Incredible. Yeah. What if your husband doesn't have a mistress? Do you have to hire a mistress? Yeah, you And do. then hire a mistress dispeller? Costs ah. twice as much, and it's almost futile. <laughs> this was a piece in The New Yorker, which they did on this new thing, which is becoming bigger and bigger, which are these companies that call themselves mistress dispellers. And if your husband has a mistress that you know about, and I think people, a lot of men in China are quite unsubtle about it then you go to one of these mistress dispelling services and you say can you sort this out and they charge tens of thousands of dollars but they do a really comprehensive service they have like a psychotherapist they have lawyers um, and it's a two-pronged attack so one psychotherapist goes to the mistress and lures her away so for instance there was one case where a mistress was convinced by the therapist to get a job in a different city yeah they they're banned from getting emotionally Involved, although there are stories of some male mistress dispellers who will start having an affair with the mistress. Yeah, and there, cause there are lots of different companies, so lots of them do different things. So there are some companies that say don't get involved, but then there are other companies that openly say our mistress dispellers are attractive men. <laughs> They're there to seduce the mistresses. What's uh, you guys probably know this? I'm surprised I don't. What is the male mistress? Master. Just no. mas- master. Well, mistress is a feminine version of the yeah. word master. That's etymologically. Yes, but right. but you wouldn't say, I think my wife's got a master. <laughs> You'd say, she's got a fancy man. Right, sorry. I think. Fancy man. <laughs> That's what I'd say. So the, obviously there's no equivalent because we've lived in a very sexist society for the last mm. 4,000 years. Well, fancy, mistre- fancy man. <laughs> That's, that, I know we may not have the wording, but are there fancy man dispellers in China as well as I mistress? I don't think there are because it's just not such a commonplace thing. Isn't it true? I read somewhere that like, actual family counsellors and people like that really don't think this is a particularly good idea at all. That sounds very plausible. (laughs) (laughs) I read that it was um, the director of the Guangdong Province Marriage and Family Counsellors Association who says, really, these problems need to be solved between the husband and the wife rather than spending tens of thousands of pounds. <laughs> no, absolutely no. not. You need to spend $45,000 <laughs> hiring someone to trick your mistress into leaving you. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because if it's a traditional family where the husband is earning the money and, and sharing it with the wife, the wife then goes and spends the money on getting rid of the mistress. So... It'll, it's, it's money circling around. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yes. it's weird. Like yeah. The, the man is the breadwinner. It's then the husband's own money that's being spent on getting rid of his mistress. <laughs> yes. It's quite pleasing. Do you think he notices and says, what's happened to all of our money? And then the wife <laughs> says, well, I've, I spent on disposing of that woman you were showing. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's probably the problem is that um, some of the case studies where they produce um, accounts from the wives and the reason they've done it, uh, in some cases they've said too much money is disappearing from the family account because these guys with the mistresses have gone too far in. They're spending way too much money on them. I'll and put so a stop to that by throwing thousands of dollars more yeah. after them. Yeah. I guess, yeah. You'll have lots of very happy marriages of extremely poor people. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I found another uh, curious job. This is a website tester. 
So basically, a lot of people release new websites they've created, and they're mm. way too complicated in some cases, unusable, not very friendly. So this is called This User Is My Mum. And it's this guy's <laughs> mum, who is very bad at the internet, tests out your website and says out loud, I, d I don't understand, what is this doing? How does this lead? And he writes you a report, and but his you know mum just tests it. What's interesting about this is it's a job where the more you do it, the worse you get at it. Yeah. Because yes. yeah. you'd get more proficient on the internet, so you wouldn't be... As stupid. Yes. Yeah. It's still she going. She must be replaced. She must be secretly replaced. <laughs> she must, she must be replaced. <laughs> you can't secretly replace someone's mother like you might do a hamster. <laughs> I don't know if you'd notice. <laughs> um, there is a, this isn't really a job. This is one bloke. But the um, James, you and I were talking about uh, China's doing this massive face recognition drive at the moment. Oh, yeah. And they're installing facial recognition technology everywhere. Uh, and you need it now to get into your taxi app on your phone or you need it to get into your, your you know, digital wallet or all this stuff. Yeah. But there is a guy called, I think he's called Wang Yuheng, and last year he beat um, a facial recognition software machine. He's one of these super recognizers, right? Mm -hmm. And he played three rounds against the machine and it was a draw for the first two rounds and then he won the third one. But on the TV show he was on last year, he successfully identified a single glass of water from more than 520 <laughs> identical glasses of water. Whoa! <laughs> what? Yep. No, he yep. didn't. Well, yep. that, well, the one thing here is they can't have been identical. Yeah. <laughs> they were identical to you and I, but <laughs> really, Wang saw. What did he see in it? What are you seeing in I a glass know. of water? I don't know whether it, that was the only one which was... With I think that one, on it that one was half empty and all the others were half full. <laughs> yeah. I, think that's I went to a club the other week and um, they had facial recognition stuff. So you went with your ID and they scanned your ID and then they scanned your face and it had to look the same. Otherwise, they wouldn't let you in. Really? Uh, but mine didn't look the same because my ID is from when I was about 18. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, when I had short hair, um, but they just let me go anyway. They must look at the age it was taken at, and then yeah, and thought that guy is obviously this guy needs a old. drink. <laughs> 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 this guy's had a hard life. Let's let him. <laughs> that was the same club I tried to get into at the weekend to meet yeah. you, and they didn't let me in. No, but then I didn't bring any ID, so that's probably they couldn't scan it. Just brought a glass of water. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are you guys hanging out on the weekend? Yeah, what yeah. the hell? We went to a party. Oh dear. You guys were invited, I think. Were we? You? I don't know. Oh, I just, just not were mention not? it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've, I've been doing a bit of extra research because I've been free at the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading about sort of the king's mistress, which in France was an official position for centuries. You know, you'd get uh -huh. your own flats and you'd get a, an official title. Um, so Madame de Pompadour was an extremely famous uh, mistress to Louis XV. Uh, for 20 years, despite the fact they didn't really sleep together. Uh, she found other women for him to go to bed with, and then she would just talk to him. But so she's a pimp? Well, no. She's More of a madam. A madam, yes. A madam, yeah. Well, she is. She's Madame de Pompadour, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she used to be called Miss Fish. She was called Mademoiselle Poisson before she was uh, elevated. In, was that her surname, you mean? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. But when she met Louis XIV, it was at a ball in 1745 where she was dressed as a shepherdess and he was dressed as a tree. <laughs> <laughs> so did she bring her sheep underneath him to shelter from the rain or something? Yeah, I think that was it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so romantic. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, until 2006 in America, if you wanted to get divorced, you could get divorced in Guam by mail. So um, both of the people could write to Guam and say, we want to get divorced and they would just do it. Uh, you need never have ever been to Guam. You could just do that. And that was a legal thing. Wow. And then they changed the law. So now you can still get 
divorced in Guam, but you need to have stayed there for eight days uh, and no one does it anymore. Yeah, because Guam is really far from everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine how suspicious you'd be as the partner when they say, hey, I've booked us a holiday to Guam. Ask, ask work for eight days off if you can. <laughs> So Benjamin Franklin wrote a letter which was advice to a friend on choosing a mistress. Mm. Have any of you read this? Uh, yeah, bedside reading. <laughs> no. It's not going well, is it, Andy? <laughs> so this is a letter to his... <laughs> that is harsh. No. This I've just been dispelled. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't dispel the mistress, they dispelled the husband. It was the only case they decided to change policy. <laughs> She's way better off with that other guy, which is... <laughs> Um, a fancy man. <laughs> <laughs> he still uses phrases like fancy man. I've got a dictionary. What is the phrase? What's the word? Well, master, according to James. Oh, no, I was talking etymologically right, of the okay. word mistress. Bit, yeah. bit on the side. That's it. Squeeze. 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 Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Anna, you were saying. No, squeeze anyway, yeah, squeeze is even is just right. as old as fancy <laughs> man. So, saucy gentleman. Andy and I are from the same century. It turns out. Speaking of centuries. So Ben Franklin in the 18th century wrote this letter to a friend of his called Cadwaller Colton, who had had written a letter to Ben Franklin saying, I really want a mistress. And a mistress in those days wasn't someone who you were cheating on your wife with. It was just if you didn't have a wife, anyone you wanted to have sex with was your mistress. Um, so ben the Fra- way you got this was you wrote to Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> and yeah. he, would, he would get his mum to look through <laughs> a list of people. <laughs> Maybe his mum was involved because his first piece of advice was choose an older woman. Yeah, uh, when you ring old Mrs. Franklin, I hear she's good. <laughs> anyway, he wrote this letter in 1745 and it was actually genuinely quite good advice. Um, and first of all, it said, actually, I advise you get married. But if you will insist on not getting married for a while, first of all, get married to an older woman because they're smarter, they've lived longer, they've got better chat. Um, and also he said, there's no hazard of children which irregularly produced may be attended with much inconvenience. Um, which so is, he's talking about quite an older woman. Well, indeed, postmenopausal. Um, and he also says when they stop being beautiful, they study to be good in other ways. Right. You so say good thoughtful. advice, but it sounds a little misogynistic. Mm. I don't know what you're talking about, James. I'm the woman here, and I think he's right <laughs> on the feminist money. <laughs> But this is interesting. He says, don't worry about the appearance issue because even though in old age uh, some bits get wrinkly, it starts from the top down. So he says, the face first gets wrinkled, then the neck, and then the breasts and arms. But the lower parts continue to last as plump as ever so that if you cover all above with a basket and regard only what is below the girdle, it is impossible to know an old woman from a young one. You're absolutely right. This is feminist. (laughs) Happy birthday, darling. Get the the basket ready. I've had to upgrade you to a deeper basket, I'm afraid. <laughs> basket? Yeah. Franklin sign off with, you should see my mum, she's got a basket on her, but she's all right. <laughs> um, a teacher actually got in trouble for using a quote from this letter in his classroom, but this is this teacher in Oklahoma, and he had a picture in his classroom of a cat, and he had the quote, in the dark, all cats are grey, which maybe is yeah. saying something uh, about yeah. don't judge my appearance. Hmm. And um, actually, Franklin said in this letter, also, you don't need to worry about the appearance because in the dark, all cats are grey. Um, as in, doesn't matter, you turn the lights out, not an issue. Um, and this teacher got hmm. suspended. Right. It's quite an old gag as well. I mean, that was used by one of the Russians, Catherine the Great or Peter the Great or somebody. Oh, it's about the same kind of era. It would have been a lot darker then as well, right? Because this is pre-electricity, so... 
Yeah. Just so, when it gets dark, you've either got your candles or your. So are you in saying people are even more were even more familiar with darkness? Just cats like might as well not have even bothered. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what's the point of having color if you're a cat in yeah, the yeah. olden days? Aren't cats colorblind anyway? No. No. no? I think I'm dogs. thinking of dogs. Yeah. Mm. All dogs are grey. <laughs> to, to all other dogs. <laughs> to other dogs. All the time. <laughs> Do you know that the first ever divorce in America um, was due to bigamy? Uh, it was a guy called James Luxford, and he was fined £100 and sentenced to an hour in the stocks, but they gave him an even worse punishment, which is the worst they could come up with. They banished him to England. Ooh. Wow. Mm. That is rough. I guess if you're an American, being sent back to England is embarrassing because it's like being sent back to your mum's house. Yeah, yeah. You know? it is. <laughs> That's exactly what it is because they were all English. They'd all come over for their new life. Oh, yeah. okay, they were right. like, okay, we don't need you here anymore. Yeah. Head off back to England. Wow. Do you think he went back to England and went, didn't even like it there anyway? It was rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's an idiot. Too many wives. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, it is time for fact number two, and that is James. My fact this week is that Richard Nixon's chair was 2.5 inches higher than everyone else's in the cabinet room. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing. Um, So I read this in an article in International Business Times, and it's about how much money Donald Trump has spent on furnishings for the White House. So in four months, he spent $133,000, which is triple what Obama spent. Um, But one of the things he bought was a conference table from a company called Kittinger. And on Kittinger's website, it says that they got this stuff for Richard Nixon, including a um, 24 chairs around the table, one of which was 2.5 inches higher than the rest. Mm. And that was for him. It's just the back, I think. I think yeah. it's the back of the chair, isn't it? Wait, the the back of the chair. So you mean just the just the horizontal bit that supports your back. But surely, if that's higher, then you will look a bit shorter relatively in your chair. Oh. I think the idea being that you have such a magnificent chair <laughs> by two point five <laughs> inches that people give you a bit more kind of leeway because, like, it's like a throne, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. Big throne that the queen sits on. Presumably, I don't know. Does she sit on a big throne? Yeah, yeah. Well, she, yeah. yeah. I imagine she sits on one a bit like the Game of Thrones Iron Throne. Yeah, a bit less bony, but okay. Yeah, a bit less made of swords yeah <laughs> but she did at the opening of parliament yeah oh yeah and one of the reasons because obviously they were mucking around with when they were going to have the queen's speech i think part of the reason that she was angry they said it was going to be because she was going to miss ascot and she loves seeing the horses but also i think it's because she normally practices wearing the crown for a week before the ceremony because it's really heavy it's extremely heavy yeah mm. and so i think she wasn't she didn't know when to start practicing it's a little bit like the Guy's mum with the website, though, right? She's been wearing the crown so often now that surely she is used to it at this point. It's surely her heavy. neck muscles are permanent. Yeah. You look at the queen. She doesn't look like Frank Bruno with yeah. massive <laughs> neck, does she? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sorry, chairs. Yeah. Can I just ask if, because Nixon ordered the Kittinger table, mm. and do you think he actually was looking for Kissinger and he just mispronounced mm. it oh. and it was all a big mistake? Is that the We Want You guy in the poster? No, that's Lord Kitchener. From the First World War yes. in the other country. So Kitchener had very little to do with Richard Nixon, whereas Kissinger and Nixon were a very strong partnership for a very long time. Oh, yeah, yeah. But he did try and buy some furniture for his kitchen and <laughs> accidentally got a poster <laughs> of Lord Kitchener. <laughs> but, sorry, just to say, um, I read um, there's a book called Believer, My 40 Years in Politics by David Axelrod, who was the chief strategist for Barack Obama's presidential campaign. Mm-hmm. And he says that Obama's chair was slightly taller. 
Really? He was president. Oh, so was it not the same chair? Because it's the same table still. I um, think it, I thought it was. Maybe it's not, actually. Yeah, I don't know. So the cabinet office in Downing Street, the prime minister chair is the only one with arms on. Mm-hmm. Really? And this has prompted a diplomatic row in the past. Oh, in what? 1979, the president of France, uh, Valérie Giscard d'Estaing, was visiting the UK and he was going to visit Thatcher in the cabinet room. And his aides said, yes, could he have a chair with equal status to the prime minister, please? And they said... What? And they said, well, it's very simple. Either he wants one with arms or you have to put that one in the corner and Thatcher has to have one without arms. And they had to write to the British ambassador in Paris and say, look, can you sort this out? And he wrote back saying, yeah, they're really serious about this thing. Wow. So and they were they insistent. We're, we're actually still at war with them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the ambassador said his first reaction uh, was to think that the obvious solution was to stand the prime minister's chair in a corner and have her seated on the same sort of chair as the president. He thought the president would be very surprised if it was otherwise. So, uh, the, it is, unfortunately, it's not recorded how they solved it, but... I think the obvious solution is to have one sit on the other's lap and then they switch <laughs> around halfway through, right? <laughs> hey, the but, other difference yeah. um, of cabinet chairs in the British cabinet room mm. uh, is that the prime minister's chair is the only chair that's left on an angle so that it's more accessible to the Prime Minister. They can just slip into it, whereas the others have to pull the chair out. Or so that gives they them that chucked out of it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's very interesting. Yeah, it's just when they walk in, all the positions are straight except for the Prime Minister's, which is on a slight angle, which allows easier access. Mm. Yeah. Another important person in the world who has a high chair is... Prince George. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say Lord Sugar. In The Apprentice. Oh. Really? Yeah. yeah, he has a platform that his chair's on, which is about three inches higher, so that he's the highest person in the room. And um, they found that out because they had a camera shot from behind him in one of the episodes. Wow. And everyone kind of noticed that there was like a little platform that he sat on. Really? It's interesting. It's always people who are universally loved and respected who have these slightly higher chairs, <laughs> isn't it? John Watson, <laughs> Alan Sugar. <laughs> Sarkozy. Have we talked about when Sarkozy... Uh, went to because uh, he was obviously quite short um, he went to do a speech in a factory and he had lots of fact- the factory workers standing behind him when he made the speech and he made sure to select the 20 shortest factory workers <laughs> to stand behind him and they interviewed them afterwards and said why, why were you chosen to be in this picture and they said well they checked my height and they said I was adequately small to not make him look too short was he working in Willy Wonka's chocolate factory <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> so Okay, I do have one wild fact about presidential chairs. Go on. Mm. There was a guy in the 19th century, and his name was Seth Kinnaman, right? He was a hunter. He claimed to have shot 800 grizzly bears in his life. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. (laughs) (laughs) He was Californian, but he made for a spell every single new president of the USA got a chair made by Seth Kinnaman, and they were the creepiest chairs you've ever seen. One of them is made just from elk antlers strapped together he once played for President Lincoln according to Wikipedia on a fiddle made from the skull of a mule wow okay so this is the kind of guy he was anyway the chair he made for Andrew Johnson was made from two wild bears right the legs of the chair the four legs were all bear legs mm-hmm. and um, when you touched a cord the head of a grizzly bear would snap out from <gasps> under the seat and gnash its teeth and then go back that's amazing who yeah. was that for? that one was for Andrew Johnson that's incredible wow. yeah you Although can see photos of it, and it is terrifying. If you wanted to make a really creepy chair, <laughs> you should have a chair that then has an arm built into it, where if you sit in it, the hand is resting on your thigh. <laughs> oh. 
That I just think that would be a good creepy chair. Yeah, that's a good creepy chair. You're in the market for yeah, one. That's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. it's always creepy when someone rests their hand on your thigh. It's not always creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I find it's quite nice. The judge. <laughs> <laughs> when you become prime minister, Anna, you can have one of those chairs in the British cabinet room. Well, probably they won't let me because it has to be this, you know, s- slightly armchair. Perhaps well, I can be able to do what you want. As long as you have the same creepy chair for the president of France. <laughs> <laughs> um, can I make a quick uh, presidential chair correction? Yeah. Uh, many, many, many podcasts ago, probably about 10 in, I uh, made a mistake. I said that underneath the chair of uh, Barack Obama's um, Oval Office table was a trap door that should the president in an emergency need to get out of the room, he could open the trap door and slide down the slide. Um, <laughs> it turns out that that's not true. I was fooled by a website, the White House website, which turned out to be a website called Not the White House website, a parody of the White House website. <laughs> and uh, I, fail, I failed to read the strap line and the not. I think if this guy needs to replace his mum, he could quite easily hire you, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies to anyone who's used that fact because I didn't edit it out of the show (laughs) despite having learned that. So Richard Nixon's inauguration, one thing he didn't want was uh, pigeon poo all the way down the road where he was being inaugurated. (laughs) Who does? (laughs) No, every other president has requested it. (laughs) But he was weird. He just didn't like it. And so he decided that what he would do is try and get rid of all the pigeons. Mm -hmm. And so they sprayed something called Roost No More, which is a bird repellent. (laughs) on all the trees nearby and the idea was it would make the pigeons feet burn and they would fly off Um, but unfortunately it contained a chemical that killed them and so um, as he was being inaugurated they went down the road and there were just dead pigeons everywhere (laughs) amazing that's amazing that's incredible it's not a good start is it (laughs) it's the first omen (laughs) or is it like when you get pooed on by a bird it's like that's actually a really good sign lots of dead birds falling all over you (laughs) sure that's what his advisors said but that's the thing i guess being pooed on by birds is supposed to be good luck isn't it Mm, so he's got rid of all the good luck and got pigeon corpses yeah (laughs) double that's a double double no wonder things played out as they did (laughs) (laughs) so nixon was very very clumsy um i hadn't quite realized the plethora of hilarious stories about him so he used to always drop medals at award ceremonies so yeah. any military award ceremony he was trying to put a medal on somebody he'd drop it to the extent that um the dead veterans scattered all over the thing <laughs> <laughs> um so uh one of his military aides said that he had to take the pins off the back of medals and replace them with clip-on devices because if he didn't drop the medal he'd then stab the military person in the chest with it um <laughs> He once picked up a lobster as part of like a PR thing. He was visiting a fish farm and he p- picked up a lobster and it clawed onto his suit lapel and wouldn't let go. It was uh-huh. hanging from him. Um, <laughs> he spilled the inkwell at Downing Street. He always spilled soup on himself. And so he said that oh. soup courses had to be eliminated from That's state right. menus. <laughs> that is so funny. It's really good. Um, in Middle Kingdom, Egypt, um, it was a symbol of status to have a folding stool. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Stools were popular, um, but folding stools were very <laughs> difficult to get hold of and they were expensive. So if you weren't quite as posh as a pharaoh, but you were pretty posh, you would have a folding stool. I didn't even know they were invented as far back as then. Know, it's amazing, Is that right? to prove you were rich enough to go on beach holidays? <laughs> <laughs> I think every holiday is a beach holiday in ancient Egypt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a constant beach holiday. <laughs> uh, 
Okay, it is time for fact number three, and that is Andy. My fact is that there is a special police unit in France whose job is to monitor six million dead people. (laughs) (laughs) And they are called the catacops. (laughs) (laughs) So these are the guys who look after the catacombs in Paris. And the catacombs are this massive um, thing. I'd heard of them before. I didn't realize how big they were. Mm. They are 200 miles of tunnels over 32 square kilometers in area. So they still haven't all been explored. It's 10 times the area of Central Park in New York. Uh, It's absolutely massive. And um, the catacops are the people who walk around underground trying to find people who are trespassing and, you know, people who are uh, mistreating the catacombs. So they're not actually policing the dead themselves and checking they don't cause trouble. No. but there are Although the if they do cause trouble, I'm sure they'll be first on the scene. Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. Although there are only five people in the catacombs these <laughs> days. So I, I read they're gig. called cataflix in French. Yeah. Oh. What, the people who go down there? Uh, or the, the cops. Oh, the cops. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Because everyone is called cata-something. There are cataclasts. These are people who mistreat the catacombs. They're people who leave rubbish and they spray paint over older works of art and they're very bad people. But there are cataphiles as well, people who love the catacombs and who treat them well. Mm. And then if if you're a cataphile and you bump into a catacop, he might well let you go. Surely if you're a cataclast, then you claim you're a cataphile if a catacop comes along. Yeah, but if you're if you, there's litter behind you or you're daubing stuff on a wall... Then or you're carrying say, spray paint cans. Exactly, you'll say yeah. you're a cataclast, aren't but you? you? No, no, because I actually took them off a cataclast because I saw they were doing something wrong, so I've got the cans, oh. but they're not mine. I haven't been using them. Oh, well, exactly. on your way. Thank you. <laughs> and then you point and you say, he went that way. Yeah. <laughs> he went 200 miles that way. <laughs> <laughs> and also there's catachicks apparently, Ooh. who are a subculture who walk around the tunnels in bikinis. No. Apparently. Ooh. Is there a pool down there? Uh, There's a lot of flooded catacomb area. Uh, in fact... In that case, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it was last year, m- maybe the year before, um, a surfer called Alison Teal went surfing inside a catacomb. You can watch the video. Wow. It's pretty extraordinary. She says surfing, and all the media said surfing. She's laying on the surfboard uh, yeah. in a in her bikini. She's in a bikini, <laughs> and um, she goes through it. But it's it's an amazing video because she goes into these tunnels, which are super tight, like it's just her and the surfboard can fit through. And there's moments where people who've been down there, obviously having fun with all the bones down there and arranging them into a chair. So you can see her sit in a bone chair. <laughs> what? It's extraordinary. Like... Incredible. Is, is that chair made by Seth Kinman, the 19th century grizzly bear hunter? <laughs> wow. They are incredible, though, these catacombs. They're yeah. so cool. And when the first ever catacop chief retired, mm-hmm. his name was Jean-Claude Sarret. He did 20 years in the tunnels. The cataphiles organized a massive feast for him. And he turned up and he said, I tried for years to catch you, but now I'm retiring. If you want, you can take pictures with me. And they all had their picture taken with him. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. Wow. And they threw him a party. i got to say, catacops sounds like quite a cool 80s cartoon it does really does are they cats yeah but they're in the catacombs are they also cops oh yeah Yeah. and they're wearing policemen's outfits andy it's in the title (laughs) every element of this cartoon is in the great about the 80s (laughs) yeah you never had to think about titles of cartoons they were just it was straight in there thundercats yeah they're cats and they like thunder danger mouse yeah yeah Yeah. mouse danger didn't even have to watch the cartoon. Look yep. at the title. You know what you got. Or as Peppa Pig. What's that about? <laughs> no, no one knows. Peppa anyway. <laughs> 
So the Cutter Files are incredible, aren't they? Um, I really would recommend looking them up. This is one of those facts I was so glad you chose it because I had no idea they existed. And um, they sort of invented themselves in about 1980. And the idea is they're kind of urban explorers, but they go around um, restoring... Uh, parts of Paris that are going without being restored or the government hasn't got the funds to restore them or they think need restoring and the cataphiles are the people who do so in the catacombs and so for instance a few years ago the catacombs just came across underground in some of the catacombs that you're not allowed to access a cinema uh, complete with like a bar and a restaurant <laughs> this is all underneath the Trocadero the, uh, an area of Paris um, it had it had seats to watch films in it it had this whole collection of films they'd wired in at least three phone lines they had their own electricity system and there were just people hanging out down there watching films on a big cinema screen and so they found this and they were like well wow this is amazing we found this whole cinema system who the hell is this and the police came back three days later and all the electrics had been cut off and there was just a note that read do not try to find us Wow! Can you find what films they watch? Because I have been trying to find out. Oh, I, yeah, I, I, I actually saw um, the name of one of the films. Um, yeah. It's very art house sort of oh, stuff. Oh, because I was hoping they were watching, you know, Terminator or um, yes. Yeah. Well, you mean like Lovely Bones or something? Oh, that'd be good. Yeah. Like bone related. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you could have a great time watching zombie films down there. Yeah. yeah. Or the Mummy, surely. Yes, they've all got their own catacomb name as well. Everyone has a nom de plume or a nom de catacomb down there, and you're not meant to. You're not meant to ask about anyone's above surface life. You don't say. So what do you do? Because the answer is, I walk around the catacombs. Yeah, I see. Yeah, right. Do you know what they also found in the cinema? By the way, um, they discovered that there was a CCTV monitor in order to see who was coming so they can review the tapes i guess if they could see if it was cops or anything and along with the cctv they had a bit of sound equipment so that if anyone passed a certain point it triggered a dog barking to scare them off from going further down the tunnel wow, wow. yeah so it was like that was their security system to stop the cinema from being that discovered. would work for the um catacop cartoon cats as <laughs> <Yes>. well <laughs> But they're very dangerous, these catacombs, if you are not a cataphile and if you decide to go exploring off the beaten path, as it were, because these are ginormous and there are accounts of people who've heard of stashes of wine and they've said, I'm just going to go down and look for a stash of wine and never seen again. I mean, you're in France, there's wine everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, finally, I can get some of this mysterious <laughs> wine that they speak of. So very recently, um, two boys disappeared um, for three days and they were found they got put into hospital they had hypothermia um, and they were only found because they'd been leaving clues along the way but they, the catacops I guess sent in search dogs in order to find them and they managed to to find them but I kept thinking that that's you can you imagine being a dog and going down into a place with all those bones <laughs> <laughs> well this is the thing do you know why the bones are down there in the first place because they weren't originally there so the bones were put underground because all the cemeteries were running out of space in the city above ground. And it was horrible. So there's a very famous cemetery in Paris called uh, Le Innocent, The Innocents. And it was giving off a strong smell of decomposing flesh in the late 18th century. And supposedly, even perfume shops were claiming they couldn't do business because of the off-putting smell. Wow. Surely <laughs> they're the one people who should be cashing in. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? Yeah. If they um, can't spot that business opportunity, perfumier. Anyway, in seventeen eighty a wall collapsed at Les Innocent and uh, rotting corpses fell into a nearby house. Mm. At that point people said 
Oh, maybe we should move these millions and millions of corpses. <laughs> so they, over a period of years and years, they moved all these six million bodies from the city cemeteries into the catacombs. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. They, what, what it was is they'd had all these tunnels because it was where they mined for limestone. Mm. Originally, they would get limestone from near the ground level. But actually, that was kind of spoiling the topsoil, so you couldn't make any agriculture there or anything like that. So they had to go deep, deep down to get their rocks. Ah. And this is amazing. Um, once they'd made, uh, they'd got rid of all the rock and the catacombs existed, um, but completely abandoned because they weren't being used for anything, people started farming there. So mushrooms were grown in these catacombs and all the farmers got kicked out because they wanted to throw all the bones in there. No way. Yeah, and still today in bits of catacomb that are not occupied by bones are uh, growing wow. mushrooms still. i got to say, cool. as someone who's scared of mushrooms like I am, <laughs> I have a real phobia. I think I could live with the bones and the skulls and stuff like that. <laughs> you'd, you'd freak mushrooms, out. Mushrooms, I really would. That's would a horror movie that. for you. Yeah. Awful. <laughs> and here's the other thing about the catacombs is um, they are the reason that Paris has maintained not having high-risers in the city. Because they collapse. They would collapse. There's the ground underneath them are not oh. stable enough in order to allow for high-rise buildings. Um, it was Louis the Sixteenth. He founded the organization, uh, the IGC, the Inspection General de Carrière, which does all the maintenance and mapping. And he was forced to found it because in 1774, 300 meters of street just collapsed into a 20-meter deep hole. Oh, wow. Imagine. Wow. Because obviously the limestone um, is e- eroded or it's eaten away by rain or whatever it might be, and suddenly, boom, 300 metres of a street. Yeah. That must. It sounds almost fun to be on a street that then kind of turns into a, a tunnel what slide or something. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? It wouldn't be. I'm not saying it would be. It sounds like it could be. My sister is terrified of sinkholes. Really? Yeah, me too. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. Has a massive phobia of Doesn't them. she live in a cemetery? No, the other sister. All right, okay. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Surely it's more logical if you do live in a cemetery to be afraid of falling into the ground. Because mm. yeah. you've seen all these other people who've done it. My sister. <laughs> <laughs> That's not how they all die. <laughs> my sister who lives in a cemetery grows her own vegetables. And my other sister who doesn't live in the cemetery refuses to eat them because she thinks they've got dead bodies. <laughs> oh, in them. I don't blame her. That's, yeah, there's something about that connection. But you eat, you eat crops grown with yeah. excrement as fertilizer. <laughs> That doesn't bother you, does it? Yeah. But isn't that bizarre that we're constantly eating food that's grown using cow poo or mm. human poo or poo? It's just poo. Any kind of poo. Yeah. It all works. But does the trick. That is weird, isn't it? I we're like all not, over it Not now. enough gets made of that. You're right. I, I, agree, I agree with you. People always say they look at like the way that animals are killed and say maybe if you knew how your animals were killed, you would all go vegetarian. Yeah. But maybe if you knew that there was poo smeared all over your vegetables, <laughs> you'd only eat meat. <laughs> Okay, it is time for our final fact of the show, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that the number one place to buy CDs in Indonesia now is KFC. <laughs> KFC, the fast food restaurant. They should call it KFCD. Oh. <laughs> this yeah. is amazing. That's this, such an amazing fact. This is extraordinary. It's Hang on, KFCD <laughs> would be the Kentucky Fried Chicken Disc. <laughs> Kentucky Fried Compact Disc. KFC CD is what you're suggesting. Yeah. yeah. So in Indonesia now, in KFC, when you go to buy your chicken, you are offered a bundle deal in which you can also purchase a CD. And they sell over 500,000 albums a month in the KFCs all over Indonesia. 
and this was set up by a very well-respected, well-known producer of bands like The Killers, predominantly U2. He's done the majority of their biggest albums um, outside of Brian Eno. And he realized over there, credit cards and streaming isn't such a massive thing. So people are still buying the physical objects. Mm. CDs get sold for $4 and there's a lot of black market CDs that go on. He thought no one goes out to buy things anymore physically, but they do go out to buy chicken. So what if I combined (laughs) chicken and CDs together and started selling them there and it's absolutely worked. So he releases at the moment predominantly Indonesian artists but they're looking into bringing in yeah. the Western you, music. You, you two have got that new album coming out, haven't they? Family Bucket. <laughs> <laughs> His name's Steve Lillywhite, by the way, the producer of all these albums. He's done the Rolling Stones as well. I mean, he's, he's ginormous. They interviewed him. The New York Times interviewed him. And he said, my job is basically like running a record label, except this record label also happens to sell chicken. <laughs> so I think it's a man who's not fully adjusted to the new reality. It very much sounds like a man who used to be a record label guy, <laughs> then fell on hard times got a job at kfc (laughs) and then someone from the new york times came along and said aren't you that guy who used to produce you too and he's like yeah yeah i still do that kind of stuff but but incredibly that's not the case while he gave this interview to the new york times he was busy mixing or playing the latest u2 single that he just made in the background like this is a guy who's like jumping between producing pop hits and selling and he, he, the music that he sells in KFC in Indonesia is not um, English language, is it? So it's all Indonesian music at yeah. the moment. Yeah. And he says that he thinks 98% of the music sales come from people who just went to buy chicken and turn up there and go, oh, we'll have a CD too. Impulse buy. It yeah. definitely makes sense. But, but also piracy is not necessarily bad for CD sales. So Japan is somewhere where CDs are still a huge thing. So I think uh, globally 39% of music sales come from CDs. Or this is true last year, the year before. Wow. Whereas in Japan, it's 75%. And piracy isn't necessarily a bad thing because apparently when people pirate CDs, they copy them onto other CDs and that gets people used to just physically having CDs. I think people are all used to physically having CDs now. I think that's the argument of a pirate in the dock. Uh, <laughs> Quite possibly. Actually, no, I was hoping I to spread the sale of CDs, just happened to be blank ones that I was buying and then <laughs> ripping off. I don't know. The Japan thing is bizarre, though, the CD thing. So CDs in Japan cost about £25 on average, what? each one. So it's not like they're cheaper. Well, it's because of all the bonus tracks. Japan famously, I, there's a great comedian who once said where all the bonus tracks live. Every Japanese CD, which is why they're often imported to other countries around the world, is there may be four songs that don't appear on a CD released in the West. Wow. So if Coldplay releases an album there, most likely there'll be four bonus tracks, which are the B-sides or something that they would use later four, down the line. Four more completely indistinguishable <laughs> <Yeah>. tracks. <laughs> Imagine how disappointed you'd be if you got to the end of what you thought was a Coldplay album and it turned out there were four more tracks you had to listen to. Um, the first massive-selling CD was Dire Straits. It was an album called Brothers in Arms and it was the first one to sell a million CDs. It was absolutely huge. Mm. And since then, I think it's sold about something crazy like 15 or 30 million copies. But they were the band who were chosen for the big push of the CD because the guys who made it for Philips said they're mainstream enough. Like, we can't push punk. We can't push something that's niche Mm-hmm. Uh, but also maybe they didn't want something really poppy. Is that right? They wanted something. I a guess little so. Bit yeah. So it was. But they were the ones who were almost chosen for that massive promotional push. 
It's interesting. Mm, okay. Yeah. The first person to have a CD released in America was Bruce Springsteen, born in the USA, mm. wasn't he? But ABBA was the first band to be imprinted onto a CD. So it's always the big ones. Uh, yeah. yeah. When you say that kind of thing, it almost feels like there probably was someone else, doesn't it? Yeah. Do you know I mean? Yeah. It kind of depends, though, because it's launching a new medium. So mm-hmm. it, I guess like Jay-Z doing Tidal, you know, he, he signed up. So Tidal is its own Spotify, effectively. <laughs> Dan, is, Dan is looking at my completely blank face <laughs> <laughs> about the words Jay-Z and Tidal. <laughs> so Tidal is like its own iTunes, its own Spotify. Right. It's an exclusive streaming and downloading place. You can only listen to Jay-Z. You can so, only listen to Jay-Z. So it's like a Betamax, but all the tapes are Jay-Z. Exactly. <laughs> okay, yeah. oh, I understand. Well, yeah, why don't you put it but, like that? So Beyonce released her Lemonade album on there, and as a result, it didn't make it to the top of the charts the first time that's ever happened to Beyonce in her solo career because it was a new medium and not enough people were signed up at right. the time. But yeah, so you need a biggie in order to push the medium. Yeah. Just in Japan, on Japan CDs, yeah. you were saying they come with extras. So as well as bonus tracks, they come with other extra things as well. So now they're keeping the CD market alive in Japan by giving away prizes with CDs. So you get raffle tickets with CDs. You get these prizes. You get... Um, Family like, bucket. A, <laughs> a raffle ticket is a terrible prize because it's basically not a prize, is it? It's a piece of paper, oh, which almost always is... Prize. It's almost always not a very nice bottle of wine, though. <laughs> <laughs> or a box of matchmakers. Yeah, exactly. You can get... Sometimes you, if you are the first... First, you know, thousand people to buy a CD, you get the handshake thing, which is where you get to meet the band of the CD you've bought and shake their hands. That's incredible. Yeah, exactly. Get to Japan, Andy. Um, but this is a cool thing. So there's a band in Japan, I think we might have talked about before, called AKB48, yes. which is a band <laughs> with loads of members. Um, and they hold band elections via CD purchases. So the way they get people to buy their CDs is if you buy a CD by these guys, then it has a ballot paper inside, and you can write on that ballot paper which member of the band is your favourite and then it's announced who's the favourite wow. um, so that gets people to buy it God, and that's pretty harsh though yeah. if you're in that band yeah but at least there are 50 members as opposed to a band like <laughs> yeah. you know, the Rolling Stones where there are five of them <laughs> you get to cull a Rolling <laughs> Stone every time it's Chaz and Dave <laughs> <laughs> and every year Dave's like sorry Chaz <laughs> Well, there was. it's not the end of the world if you lose because the girl that came 48th or the girl that came bottom in the vote one year, the following year, I think this was last year or the year before, one fan spent £240,000 <laughs> buying up as many CDs as they possibly could in order to send all the votes in because there's no limit to how many times you can vote. Whoa! So uh, what I would say is if you want to buy 250,000 copies of our new book that comes out this <laughs> November... <laughs> Should we put a little ballot paper inside saying who's your favourite member of the podcast? I really don't oh think God. we should. I think we absolutely should. Yeah. I think for you and me, we should. <laughs> Why that- didn't she just photocopy the bit of paper? That's a lot of money. To- there's going to be a barcode on there, isn't Some there? Some listener in Japan is going, fuck, right now. <laughs> With a massive catacomb full of unsold CDs. <laughs> Eating their dinner off them. Yeah. Placemats. People keep releasing CDs in Sims language. By the way, what? What does that mean? Um, you never played on The Sims? 
it sounds like you haven't either the way you said that. <laughs> no, I haven't. Cool. We all like to play on The Sims. <laughs> I think I'm the only one here who has played The Sims. I've never played on The Sims. I've not. played on The Sims, sorry, yeah. I have played on The Sims. I just didn't ever talk about it until now, apparently. Um, so I was actually looking at weird music brand partnerships for this, and Simlish is the language they speak in The Sims, and Katy Perry has recorded a song uh, on an album called Teenage Dream, and... <laughs> what? That, no, no, a I'm, B-side? No. Or? <laughs> I'm with Anna on this. What is that? A massive that album famous? or something? That's ginormous. Oh, okay, come well, on. It's, it's not Sgt. Pepper's say Lonely Hearts Club it's Band, is it? one of the best-selling albums of this decade. Well, I bet I'm the only decade. one. <laughs> I'm the only one of us four that's heard the Simlish version. So who's the bigger Katy Perry fan? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all these bands keep releasing albums in Simlish. So OK Go, Depeche Mode, um, Rita Ora, Lily Allen. Cool. They've all released Simlish songs. And that is they, very cool. And so they the just Sims. redo the language. Yeah. That's is there, awesome. Is there an album where you can buy all the Simlish songs with, you know, like a... a no, variety. that's what I call Simlish. <laughs> <laughs> One of the guys who developed the CD for Philips, when it was first introduced, he was so excited about the new technology, he said, I decided to get rid of all my vinyl albums and get my old Rolling Stones and Beatles records on CD. It still hurts. Because he just feels like a complete idiot that he did that. He got rid of all these fantastic original Rolling Stones and Beatles records. Mm. And he just has them on CD now. He was married to the cause, though. You've got to throw yourself in with both feet. To the <laughs> all five of the cause he was married to. <laughs> even even Jim? Yeah. <laughs> that is bigamy. You should go in the stocks for like five hours for that. <laughs> um, That's I've a joke some... that dates us, yeah, doesn't no, it? It really. Been... I mean, I did a Chaz and Dave joke a minute ago. We're all revealing our de- deeper secrets about, you know, Jay Z or playing on The Sims. In Indonesia, there's mm. a big trend um, for um, music related to bus horns. Okay, and this is like a little meme that started on the internet, and it's um, they videoed these kids holding signs up reading Om Telolet Om, okay, which means honk driver honk or driver honk driver i'm not sure which one uh, and the thing is indonesian buses have got really cool horns so they make like little melodic noises uh, and the kids just wanted to hear these horns and it became a bit of an internet meme and now there's a load of djs in indonesia who are making songs related to bus horns cool really? very yeah. cool so popular djs such as zed and Firebeats and dj marshmallow you, you say that in the same tone of voice yeah. that Anna talks about Katy Perry. <laughs> so we've all got blind spots, is all I'm saying. Because yeah, yeah. Andy's downloaded their albums already. <laughs> yeah, I love DJ Marshmallow and the other one you said. Um, I've got some KFC stuff. Do you? Oh, yeah, great. yeah, me yeah. too. Finally, we're getting to the nub of this fact. <laughs> so in Japan, they have a KFC with a high-end whiskey bar. Cool. Which is pretty good. Uh, In Russia, they had an advert because people weren't really eating KFC. They had an advert. And what it was is there was a little kid in a school and he was eating KFC or something. And the teacher got annoyed. And so the teacher got the bucket and put it on this kid's head. And he had to walk around school with a bucket on his head. And it started... He must have been aging uh, quite prematurely. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. 
and it was just a meme in Russia, like the Buckethead meme. I don't think we've mentioned this before. This year, KFC have released a novel for the first time. Okay. What? <laughs> it's, called, it's a novel starring the Colonel, and it's a Mills and Boone style romance, and it's called Tender Wings of Desire. <laughs> he I is a sexy man. It's, well, we ascertained before we started recording this podcast that you quite fancy Richard Nixon. Oh yeah. So your how did we miss that when we got to that? We didn't ascertain that. That's warping of the truth. Oh, I'm sorry. I f- find him not unattractive, <laughs> given that there was an But inter- for Andy, that's pretty much someone saying you're attractive. <laughs> that's the best I can hope for these days. <laughs> I'm not physically repulsed by him. Great date. <laughs> um, he said in an interview that um, something like, I know how I look. I'm under no illusions about my appearance, so I'll have to be good in other ways. And I read that interview and I thought, well, he you is don't good look- in other ways, isn't he? <laughs> he- <laughs> Lots of ways that Richard Nixon is a very good man. <laughs> What, what would you he say? Really your, yeah. What are your top five ways in which he's a great guy, Hannah? <laughs> Got a bird problem? <laughs> Here's your man. Colonel Sanders was kind of divorced from KFC from quite early on, as and he sold the company. So he did loads of marketing for it throughout his life. He travelled two hundred fifty thousand miles, I think, visiting KFC restaurants around the world until he died in nineteen eighty. But he used to turn up unexpected at various KFC outlets constantly to test their chicken because he was really pissed off that they yeah, weren't. There's a big picture of him on the wall. (laughs) (laughs) On every bucket, there's a picture of his face. People behind the desk would be like, you look a bit familiar. (laughs) I guess if he takes the suit off and the glasses. He never did. Okay, there we go. They showed him into it. Sorry, no. (laughs) He's completely recognisable. He never took his... What, even in the shower? Even when he was swimming? (laughs) Imagine if Ronald McDonald was going to every McDonald's as a secret customer. (laughs) It's just not going to work. What gave it away? Was it my height? Yeah. <laughs> so first of all, he he literally didn't go out in public without wearing his white suit and he bleached his facial hair to match his head hair and stuff. So he never didn't wear his white suit. And he turned up unannounced and then they would serve it. He'd say, give me your chicken and gravy. And <laughs> Please. <laughs> um, and then he would be really angry if they got it wrong, which they often did. So KFC sued him once for... <laughs> they, no. they did. They sued him for referring to their gravy as sludge and wallpaper like what because he turned up and said it was so he must had he sold the company he sold the company he was still doing their marketing and stuff but um he turned up and he (laughs) was that a proposed slogan (laughs) (laughs) try new wallpapery sludge There was one employee who complained. So he, he did say there was a piece on him in the New York Times in the 70s when they interviewed him saying the colonel is vexed almost beyond endurance by the subject of gravy. And one of the uh, executives at KFC said, look, the colonel's gravy was fantastic, but you had to be a Rhodes Scholar to cook it. Um, it was really, really complicated recipe that was way too labor intensive. I think everyone expensive. really likes KFC gravy, don't they? Isn't I that don't... a thing that everyone loves about it? I think it, it is a thing because he did make this massive deal about the gravy. Well, did, did he win the case? Uh, he had to pay $1 million. Uh, in damages? Yeah. Well, he called the gravy sludgy wallpaper paste. What do you expect? I guess so. They sued him for about $30 million, I think, and he got it down to a He million. could have said it's all gravy in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's it. That is all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we have said over the course of this podcast, we can be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland, James, at Egg Andy, 
at Andrew Hunter M. And Chazinski. You can email podcast at qi.com. Yep, or you can go to our group Twitter account, which is at QI Podcast. You can also go to our website, no such thing as a fish.com. We've got all of our previous episodes on there. We have all of our tour dates on there, and we have a link to our book, the book of the year, coming out in November. Ooh. Sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay, we'll be back again next week with another episode. We'll see you then. Goodbye. <laughs>